Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Girl Powerful Podcast. We're two sisters on a mission to entertain and educate by learning from women who live a purpose-driven life. Be sure to subscribe and rate our podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Girl Powerful Podcast. Today, we have Sarah Pira with us. She is the co-founder and co-CEO of Eddie. Eddie is a stylish and sustainable homewares e-commerce business that she launched in 2021 that focuses on eliminating plastic waste from everyday home life. Sarah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we are really excited to have you on the podcast because we haven't talked about sustainability yet. I know. In like 40 podcasts, it hasn't really come up. So yay, a fresh conversation. It feels like it's everywhere you know so yeah it's great timing yes yeah. sonia works in clean tech she works in solar energy so she's really dialed in like you guys probably are that's fantastic yes. yeah i mean we're we're seeing it come more and more to the consumer space which i think is is important because so many people want to be involved and figure out what they can do themselves in their homes and obviously projects like solar and and clean energy are going to have like a big bang for the buck but it's also important that people you know, feel, feel like they're contributing on kind of a daily basis in their personal I personally noticed like after the holidays, how much trash we made, like with all the wrapping and all the things we just, that weren't necessary. And that kind of goes into what we want to talk to you about today is like fewer, better things you said was your mantra and an email to me and just being minimalistic and choosing quality over quantity. So I was curious, like how that became part of your life before Eddie, because this is a newer brand. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and like how this is part of just how your ethos in your life? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I actually haven't I've stopped to think about when in my life I really started to embrace that philosophy. I think, um, I think for me, you know, there was sort of a pivotal point where I, I feel like me and my friends all had, um, you know, apartments for college where we went and we got Ikea furniture and we got like the cheapest of the Ikea furniture. Yeah. There's some really nice stuff at Ikea. And 
you quickly found that people, you know, something would break down or someone would move and it was cheaper and easier for them just to abandon their Billy, you know, bookcase rather than actually, you know, think about having nicer things in their home and things that they would value being able to move and, and keep for a long time. And so for me, you know, as you asked that question, the first thing that hit me was thinking about furniture and thinking mm -hmm. about when I, when I finished grad school, I, I lived in Philadelphia and I, I was driving back to California, but I had all of this inexpensive Ikea furniture. And I made the decision then that it wasn't going to move with me. It wasn't, it didn't make sense, but that once I moved back, I live in Los Angeles, um, that I would invest in nicer things that I would feel, you know, more, more committed to things that I wanted to keep for a longer period of time, things that felt versatile and, you know, different decors and styles that I might, you know, experience. I love my bed. For example, I got this awesome bed and I thought if I ever upgrade this, I want this bed to be like my guest bed. Like it's something that I feel like I'm going to have for a long time. And I think that that helps you build, you know, more excitement and better like relationships and better curation around the things that you bring into your home when you hold them to that bar that you're going to have them for years. And then obviously we've seen, you know, like Marie Kondo come through and ask if things spark joy in your life. And I think we've all had those moments where, you know, you come to a clean home or you, you have just kind of done a declutter and it just feels refreshing. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, that trend really came like after grad school. And, and I was, I was working a job as a consultant where I wasn't home very much. And when I was home, I wanted it to be like relaxing and not overwhelming and just have nice things and be comfortable. So that's probably where it began. I didn't know that I would like be building, you know, a product um, that, that really fit in that niche, but, but here I am. Yeah. That's interesting. You say that because I was reading a book and um, that was the first step for self-care and self-love is making your bedroom your sanctuary. So when you do walk in, it like releases calmness and you just love being there. So it's like when you turn off your computer and your laptop and you just, you know, go into your own space, it's so important to have, you know, things that you love. Yeah. And then I Absolutely. also, that also sparked something in me that I went to, I traveled through Italy and it was so interesting because in America, we grow up where it's like disposable culture and they just like anything old, you don't repurpose, you don't fix, you knock it down and build this square. And it's mm -hmm. going over there. I was so inspired just by the culture of being able to preserve old buildings. And, you know, like you're just in awe walking around every single corner. And I think having brands like Eddie really helps, like even teaches a lesson, like have this beautiful like homeware in your house to make it beautiful and it's reusable and you're not ruining the earth. You're just creating this beautiful space. <laughs> Tell us a little <laughs> bit about Eddie and like why start with soap? I'm, I can imagine it's probably going to expand over the years, but why the soap dispenser? I will say yeah. before you answer so that, though, yeah, so much plastic. Our version of the Eddie was buying the big jug and just refilling for, mm -hmm. you know, years we've been doing that and still now until now you sent us this. So that's really nice. But tell us a little bit about like why the soap. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it the the idea actually began in working with my co-founder Jameson um, that we were aware that 
there's these, these movements against plastic and it's, you know, plastic grocery bags or plastic water bottles and moving into metal for your water bottles. Um, but still there's these everyday products that we use like soap that um, for all of the different kind of options that you would think exist, the vast majority of what you see on the shelves and the vast majority of what people are buying comes in plastic. And there are people that are buying, you know, bigger jugs or the, the refill bags, which is a good step in the right direction. But for some of those, it's, it's actually a minimal reduction in plastic. Um, and, and it becomes a little bit like cumbersome and clunky to, you know, cart them around if you live in New York and you're toting that on the subway. Um, or then you're like stuck with one cent for, you know, 64 ounces or whatever would take me forever to go through. And so, um, the idea was, you know, there's gotta be a way that you could have some sort of permanent beautiful object that is rewarding in its own right to have at your home. So you don't have to sell people and guilt people on sustainability for them to, to believe that they need it. They actually want it. Like it looks better than any other object that they could have. And it happens to be more sustainable. So having this beautiful permanent object and then having something that is a, a significant step change in terms of waste footprint from plastic. And that's where the aluminum, you know, the pairing of a stainless steel soap dispenser and an aluminum refill bottle came together because aluminum is infinitely recyclable, whereas plastic is very, has limited recyclability. When it is recycled, it degrades and it constantly needs some level of like virgin plastic added to it in order to become something in its second life if it does that. Whereas aluminum and metal are very cost effective for local um, municipal recycling and uh, can last forever. And so that makes it a significant change without having to have a huge behavioral shift when you're buying it. So it was about you know, bringing this to our everyday and looking at what are the things that are sold in plastic in stores. And then starting with soap was really because it, it like it's ironic because now we're in a pandemic and everyone is washing their hands more than they ever have. And during that period of time, people have told us like, I've never thought as much about my hand washing routine until now. Um, but our little secret was we were actually starting this before the pandemic. And so wow. we had chosen <laughs> we had chosen hand soap and we were, you know, telling all of our friends from business school that we were pursuing a business of, of building a hand soap dispenser and people kind of look at you a little strangely. And now people realize that it's something they use every day and it's something that's very important. And now that we're in our homes and working remotely so much, you pay attention to your waste footprint and you pay attention to the things that you have around you. So it worked out really well for us. And, and as you said, Teddy, we are definitely expanding into other categories. It'll expand across the countertop first, but hand soap was something that we hoped when, when we're not in a pandemic that people are coming to your home, they're interacting with it, they're seeing it in these prime real estate spaces in your home, where it's your kitchen, it's your bathroom, you spend so much time curating these areas and then to have, you know, kind of like a plastic dispenser with whatever branded label on it looked best at Target. Um, felt a little inauthentic to what we want in those spaces. So yeah, that's, that's something, that's funny. I never thought about it, but when people would come over, you would put those things under the cupboard. Like, like growing up, we would like hide or that. Well, like an A-stop bottle, right? Like uh -huh. you, it's too expensive to use every day, but like maybe you bring it out when, yeah. when, um, when you have company over. <laughs> You're like a little like seashell soap <laughs> in the soap that's dish. <laughs> Bar soap is a great option, but it just feels like it doesn't fit, you know, most routines these days. People have gotten so into kind of um, 
like the the cleanliness and feeling of of using a liquid soap. So if people are going to buy liquid, we want to make sure that they're buying it in a in a format that doesn't um, create plastic waste every few weeks when they have to refill it. Amazing, and you guys are changing countertop culture, which I love. That's so catchy and cute. I was curious about how do you take a step back since you've seen so much success in a year, and like kind of like remove yourself to look at your business and your marketing plan to expand and keep going. Do you have like a routine that you do, like even self-care aside from business so you can, you know, use a different lens and perspective to keep growing and keep building? Well, we, we just launched four months ago, so it's still very early for us. And we're, we're a small team, you know, trying to grow quickly. Um, and so that means that like my job is changing um, every, every week. And my brain is sort of always absorbing new challenges. And as a problem solver, it can be hard for me to turn off. And so one of the things that I've been focusing on, especially in the new year, you know, getting this chance to kind of start, start fresh is pulling myself away from screens. And that means that, you know, I try to set like a curfew for myself where the laptop gets closed and I, you know, hold off till the next day. Um, there are a couple things like I have a Shopify app on my phone where I can, you know, get alerts and see every time somebody buys and being a new business, that is such an adrenaline rush when you see that happen. Right. And, and yet it can be a roller coaster because then you can go, you know, an hour, 90 minutes, two hours and wonder like, where are my sales? What's happening here? Um, and so I, I, I keep the app on my phone in case something happens when I'm away from, from home and I need to make a change, but I've, I've stopped allowing myself to check my sales there. I now force myself to do that when I'm seated at the computer. And I actually try to set that up where I'm seated at my desk versus like taking my laptop to, to, um, to the couch. So for me, more than anything, self-care is trying to find those ways to create boundaries to make sure that, you know, running a 24 seven e-commerce store doesn't become, you know, my life 24 uh, seven. And it's hard. Like I have to actively, actively fight against that. Well, that's good awareness though. You know, like month four and you're already like trying to set these healthy boundaries. So this is sustainable for you and your small team. Yeah. Do you think Thank I you. was, is your co-founder a male? Yeah. Jameson. So yeah. Do you think that Jameson has the same issues like do you think he's like on social media and gets like addicted to the phone or is that something that we as females like I go to bed with this thing and it's really hard this thing in my hand my phone but it's really hard to shut it down yeah it I, is I would I mentioned it I would say for Jameson it's a it's it seems I when I look at him I think that he has naturally a little bit more balance in his life he got married in the last year and that can be a forcing function for him. There's so many of our like end of day check-ins where he, he says, you know, I need to go, Laura's calling me right now, or I have to go buy the groceries or I have to start dinner. Whereas I I'm single, I live at home by myself. And so if I'm not creating that boundary, there's kind of an expectation that, you know, I could keep working as long as I want to be. But I, I will say that Jameson is our front line. This is a fun little secret of our, our customer service. And so if you are reaching out to us um, on the weekend or you know late in the evening and you're getting a timely response, it's from Jameson. And so he, while I have the awareness about what's happening on sales, he has the awareness that if something went wrong with someone's order 
or they got their product and something is wrong, he's responding to that. And so I think for us, we both shoulder it pretty, pretty equally. And I think Jameson, part of the reason I founded a company with him is he's a special human being who has, you know, next level of, of empathy and responsibility. Um, but I would say, I do think that there's a default to women feeling a sense of obligation, um, to be, you know, on, on top of things and not letting it fall. And then especially so if you don't have these forcing functions that, that pull you away from work, like you'll just, I will at least just, you know, stick with it. It's a catch 22 because this is your baby, you know, and it's like you, yeah, you do get adrenaline when you see that Shopify notification come through and you do want to be like timely and responsible, but yeah, it's so hard. I struggle with that too, just because I work at a startup. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, people are just like always asking you to do something or changing something last minute. And I find like, I have to, for my own mental health put up so many boundaries, but it took me a couple months to figure out what those boundaries are. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm 38, right? Like I've been in my career for, for almost decades now. And it, I'm still learning every day about myself on how to set boundaries. And I, I'm a person who part of my success comes be, because I keep working and, you know, figuring out how you, how you balance that so that you don't burn yourself out is a constant, a constant practice um, for me. And it was part of the reason I left my consulting career before this was because I needed to find something that, um, that didn't have the same demands, same travel, same work hours. Um, but now I have something where, you know, my, my financial success hinges on this becoming something and that feels really precarious and scary. And so making sure that I remind myself that this is a marathon um, and, you know, today needs to be successful, but more so, you know, we're building a business for the long run. And that might mean that every now and then we have to take Jameson and I, we, we try to take mental health days and we talk to each other openly about it. And I remember the first time he helped me make that decision. I, I, I told him, I was like, I need a day. And he said, you know what, if we're, if, if you need a day, you need a day. Let's all take a day. Like the whole team needs this right now. And so I think like remembering that you have permission to make those decisions, especially there's a little like surrealness to being a business owner where you're, you're like, oh, I guess I can make those calls for myself. And like, what does happen if we don't respond to those emails today? Like it's not going to fall apart. Um, but it's part of that, that sense of responsibility is part of what drives us and makes us successful. And, you know, it's hard as a founder, you gotta, you gotta always be pushing. Sounds like you guys are good leaders though, and a good team. I, uh, I like to think so. We, (laughs) we, we try, I think, uh, you know, we, we lead, I definitely see so many, um, so much growth in leadership skills than myself, uh, over the last few years and especially doing this, but for me and, and Jameson and then the partners that we work with as well, we really strive to be good partners. And for us, that really means how do we find a solution that, you know, is beneficial for, for both parties. And I think that's sort of the ethos of Eddie too, is like, we're, we're running a business. We're trying to sell you a product. Like, let's not, let's not try to hide that. Like I, I want to generate money from this, but at the same time, it wants to be something that our customers value. And what we've seen early on, and it's, it's still very early days for us, but people get their first dispenser, they test it, they get to, they get to um, try the scents at home. They, they recognize that the formulation of the soap is very high quality. 
and they come back and they buy one or two more and maybe they buy a gift like during the holidays we had a lot of gifting of friends and introducing it to folks and so when we see that we remember that there are people that you know want this in their life that it brings them joy and it has this impact um that you know we I, it still kind of amazes me that I'm I'm building something that helps environmentally limit waste and specifically plastic waste. Um, it that is rewarding in its own right. So that to me is is what what we try to strive for is like being good partners and doing right by the stakeholders in our business, whether they're our teammates or whether they're our customers. Yeah, by limiting all the plastic waste, like what I'm sure before you started, Eddie, you guys went deep diving into like research and like the future of our planet. Can you talk a little bit about like how it's the consumer's responsibility, but also the business owner's responsibility? Like it's very twofold, like we're a team here, everyone's together, but like how can everyone do their part? Because our planet is crying. You know what I mean? Like what, what do you know about it? Because I'm sure you know more than we do. What have you, like, what was like, oh man, I'm glad we're trying to reduce this plastic waste. It's important. Yeah. Well, Teddy, you said when we were preparing for this, that, um, you know, voting with your dollars mm -hmm. is a power that every consumer has. And I think that that is really important. So my background when I was a consultant was I worked with large fortune 500 companies. And so I got to see, you know, these billion dollar entities and what helps them make decisions about the products that they offer or the services that they offer or um, stops them from making choices is the fear of repercussions. And so um, as big as those entities are, the consumer's voice is really important in helping drive those options. And you're seeing it like we, we we did this research to find that aluminum is the right material for the moment with the infrastructure that we have right now to make the change and moving away from single use plastic. Now, if everybody moved to aluminum and suddenly there was like new levels of demand for, for aluminum mining, like that would have repercussions too. But the problem that we're fighting is this one that is really urgent in front of us and, and those option sets should grow over time. But we came out and we told our customers that, you know, we've, we've learned all this research about aluminum and believe us because customers have started to become skeptical about greenwashing. But what you're seeing at the same time is large companies like Procter and Gamble and Target are, are offering products or stocking more products in aluminum. And so at the same time that we're preaching to the customer, you're seeing more of that. And that becomes a cycle when the consumer becomes smarter, they're purchasing more of those. Target wants to stock more of that. Procter and Gamble wants to create more of that. And so to me, it's that flywheel that then that, you know, surfaces up to the boardroom in these large fortune 100 companies that that's when it really adds up. That's where those numbers, you know, get very significant, but it has to come from some level of demand um, and us being informed as consumers and making choices that help drive businesses in new directions. How is Eddie competing like with the price point if Target and Procter and Gamble are making similar products, not the same quality, I'm sure, but what's the price point look like? And how do you keep yeah. it? Eddie is at a premium price point. And that is because, you know, starting as a small business, it's really, really challenging to, at a small scale, you know, build something, manufacture 
or something, directly ship it to our customers market to get those customers. And so we knew that the economics meant that we had to build something that was worthy of a premium price point, which is why, you know, the dispenser that you have, when you hold it in your hands, it's, it's much more substantial than, you know, it might seem just on the screen. And people kind of always tell, tell us that I, I, um, I sold one to a friend this week and she was holding it in her hands. She's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's really kind of heavy. Um, and it's because it is, it's supposed to look really nice on your counter. And, and we put good quality materials and good quality ingredients in it so that it can sustain that price point. So we, um, we aren't, you know, directly competing right now with, with what you generally see coming from, from Target or, or Procter and Gamble. We hope over time to be able to get our price point down, particularly on our soap refills, so that on a recurring basis, um, maybe someday as we enter into retail and we're not paying, you know, direct shipping costs ourselves, costs can come down. Um, but right now that price is actually on par with, you know, natural soaps that you would find at Whole Foods or high end. It's much more cost effective than high end kind of luxury premium soaps um, from, from like Diptyque or from Aesop. And we believe our scents are, are on par and our ingredients in, in many cases are actually uh, better quality. So that's the choice point that we've had to make so far. I sometimes, it hurts my heart that like that means that there are people that can't afford it. Um, and that fuels me to make sure that we grow the business so that we can, we can provide options to folks. But even if we don't, I'm glad that we're, we're part of a movement that, you know, maybe there are options that, that are, that are viable at that price point for consumers too. 100%. It's all baby steps, right? You got to do you first, but I know Teddy is going to have this for years yeah. on her countertop, you know, and that's the beauty of it. I didn't know that aluminum, like different recyclables had different amounts of life cycles, mm. which is so interesting to me. So aluminum has an unlimited amount of life cycles. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's part of why, you know, in some states you see um, the deposits that people get back from recycling aluminum is because it's so valuable and it can go, you know, what a bottle, a refill, an eddy aluminum refill bottle can become another eddy aluminum refill bottle with no additional aluminum added to it. And there's statistics about over 70% of the aluminum that's ever been created still being in circulation. And that's, you know, that's really exciting and very compelling when you think about the life cycle of plastic, which, you know, is short on our, in our homes, but so long in, in landfills. Um, that this is a material that we are all kind of familiar with and, and most familiar with from a beverage standpoint that now we're seeing move into personal care, but the habits of how to recycle it um, are already familiar to the consumer. And I mentioned that, that local municipal recycling facilities can, in a cost-effective way, sort and process aluminum and then sell it at a high scrap metal value. So it becomes this flywheel for, uh, for recycling programs. And when you see, you know, municipal recycling programs are often fueled by lo local costs and local revenue. And so during the pandemic, um, we've seen cutbacks in what was already relatively limited plastic recycling because it requires, you know, manual sorting often and, and then has a low um, scrap value. And so we've seen that we continue forward with metal recycling because it generates revenue for those, um, those programs and allows them then to pay to recycle plastic. 
where does glass fall in like the spectrum of recyclability? Yeah, so a couple things on glass. Glass is, glass is a much better option than plastic, but um, in our research, it's really interesting. One, it's heavy, right? And it, it can be fragile. And so that means, you know, shipping costs, um, it, it's, it's expensive. It also has a low scrap value because it actually has value in a landfill. So when glass is broken down, it creates little pockets of air in a landfill that are helpful for, you know, turning over and de decomposition of waste. And so that, you know, that means that there's less inclination to recycle it and then reuse it. And it therefore is just less cost effective for recycling facilities to use. I would still say, I think it's a, it's a good option, um, especially for things that you're going to reuse in your home. You know, if you've got storage containers, uh, I just made the switch to, to glass storage containers. I had plastic and, um, and I kept it because if you already have plastic, like keep using it. You don't right. want it to go any sooner than it has to, but when you are making those choices and it is the time to replace something, thinking about a material that is gonna be more sustainable and last for you. And I think it looks better. Um, so glass is a great option, but, but yeah, aluminum is, is very helpful for those things that we, um, we kind of go through and need to recycle the material more frequently. Yeah, I mean, I think all this information helps any consumer, whether you mentioned like beverages to home products, I think I'm going to be a little more aware of even like a kombucha in glass versus aluminum. I'll probably pick the can. And I didn't ever think that. I think yeah. I thought recycle, recycle. It is what it is, you know? Yeah. Really? I mean, again, the bottom line is if you're avoiding plastic, that's a huge, huge step. And so... Um, I always tell people get started where you can. And if you find that you can make, you know, the next step, then, then great. But if people are already choosing, um, glass over plastic, uh, that's, that's a great step in the right direction. Yeah. We work with so many tween and teen girls. So being with Gen Z and Gen Alpha, everybody uses reusable water bottles, reusable mm -hmm. products. So we're just, and we're in a good space for the next few generations to be using reusable products. We'll have to tell them. Yeah, I mean, definitely get it. You were talking about, you know, visiting Italy and the sense that like Americans um, have this like disposable lifestyle. And that I think is a routine that fits generations, but doesn't have to be the case. And so if, if younger generations are taught, you know, new patterns, like for them, it's going to seem absurd that we would buy plastic water bottles and, you know, just circulate them and go through them and then have them end up in a landfill. So I think it's important that we, we you know, try to divorce ourselves from the things that we've done for decades or, or years and learn new routines. And then, you know, like you, like you guys are doing, help mentor the future and, and uh, be inspired by them. It's all about education. And that's what the podcast is about, is like sharing your story, your passion, your brand. And like through the screen, I can tell it, you are very passionate about what you're doing at Eddie and thank you for sharing. So we always end every podcast with the same question and it is personal, more personal than business, but it's what makes you feel most alive? Ooh, great question. <laughs> for me, it's, um, it's personal connections with, with my friends. I mentioned being single. I also 
Um, most of my family lives, you know, hours away. And so my friend circle, when I think about the pandemic has just become my lifeline. And so spending time with them makes me feel alive. And specifically when they, you know, when they, when they need help and helping them and being there for people like uh, earlier this week, I drove across West Los Angeles with, if, which if you're familiar with Southern California traffic, like feels like a little bit of an expense um, just to take cookies to a friend of mine who's been sick uh, with a cold for the last week. And I just left them at her door. I didn't tell her I was coming and it was, you know, in the middle of the day, which kind of blew her mind. And she, when she got them, she, she said she teared up. And for me, it's that, you know, ability to give to people and, you know, make a small impact in delighting them that feels, you know, best for me and my heart and makes me feel alive. Yeah, it's that love that's shared. That's sweet. Teddy's tearing up right now. <laughs> I know, but it's nice to no, like I take know. time and do something nice for people. It's it's wild how much we kind of don't do that. We get caught up in these routines. And so when someone does, and I, I mean, I feel that way when someone does something for me, I'm, you know, personally not very good at asking for help. And so right. when someone sees me and chooses to help me without me asking, like that blows my mind. Um, so I'm right there with you, Teddy. I'm a softie. Yeah. I know I'm super soft. I'm like hard exterior. Cause I'm like hiding my softness, you know, but acts yep. of service sometimes are more valuable than, you know, buying someone like a new purse or new, oh, yeah. you know, $40 candle. It's like those cookies meant so much to her. Yeah. Knowing that you thought of Unless her. that act of service is a gift of buying Eddie, in which case. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> you could order Eddie e commerce online to save yourself time at the store so you can go be nice to your friends and like do something nice, go on a walk with them, give them some FaceTime, right? It all makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> Where can everyone listening find you all? Yeah, the best the best way to find us is at meeteddy.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-D-D-I.com. And uh, we're on Instagram at meeteddy as well. And like I said, a little secret is most of the time, if you're talking to us in some capacity, it's Jameson or myself. And so this is this like wonderful period where as founders, we get to know, you know, how our consumers are experiencing the product and, um, and how they feel about the brand. And just today I was, you know, responding to a comment on Instagram where someone was asking about soap scents. And if you have an idea, you know, you're coming directly to the source as we think about what comes next for us. So please do reach out, please find us. We're very excited to to be launching and to learn as we go and, and ultimately to, to help give consumers what they're looking for or what we think um, they will value in their homes. Yes. Awesome. Well, we value your time and your education. So thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. Bye, Sarah. Thank you. Bye, Bye guys. Thanks. Thanks to our guest. For more information on her, see the show notes. Please hit subscribe if you have not already. That way, a new episode is delivered directly to your feed every week.